Yeah, happy Sunday, you guys. Um, it's really good. It's really good to be here. Uh, I was telling one, someone a few minutes ago, um, up in, you're, you guys are just one of two that I'm aware of, church communities who are doing right now the Read Scripture experience. So you're guinea pigs in a way, and uh, so thank you for, for doing that. Um, Dave was uh, really instrumental in kind of the idea uh, once we got the idea rolling of, well, what if we did something like what you're doing with Read Scripture? And so Dave was really helpful in helping me think of ways that we could craft this as a, an experience that a whole church could go through, and then he volunteered you all to do it. So that's kind of how it, kind of how it happened. Um, so it's great. It's really great to be here. Um, there's another church that I know of. Uh, it's, in, it's in Portland called Bridgetown. Um, they're doing it this year. Uh, I'm a pastor at a church in Portland, Door of Hope. And uh, we'll do it next year once you guys work out all the kinks. That's kind of my plan. <laughs> so thank you for being, for being guinea pigs. Um, yeah, it's great, it's great to be here. So I, yeah, my day-to-day is I ride my you know, bike to the studio and we work on videos. Uh, and I meet individuals who are doing it. Um, but this is the most amount of people I've met at once who are reading through the Bible with the Read Scripture experience. And it's really, uh, it's really humbling. I, I'm not quite sure how it all happened. It, you know, like if you've ever had an idea and then somehow that idea becomes kind of reality and you're, it's really a remarkable process. I'm really uh, humbled to be a part of it. And I'm excited to be here with you guys. So one of the things that Dave and I were talking about is if you were to take a whole church through the Bible, one of the coolest things that you could do is provide experiences, educational or in the worship gathering, to just stop and while you're doing it, to just reflect on like, what is the Bible? And why on earth would you read a thing like the Bible? Um, Because we don't often actually talk about that very much as church communities. And it's really, it's really important. And here's why. Because if if your neighbor or coworker knew that you were giving a year of your life with a whole church community to immerse yourself in this ancient book, because you believe that it's somehow a source of divine guidance or authority for how you live. Can I just predict what your coworker would tell you? <laughs> your coworker will say, you're stupid, right? And what a si- you're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're gonna, you, this ancient text from the other side of the planet written in, you know, another language and ancient people's history, like you really think that that provide some source of guidance or authority for your life in the modern world? Anybody? You haven't told your neighbors you're reading through the Bible yet, apparently, because that question will come up. And if that question hasn't occurred to you, um, I really encourage you like, to talk with your coworkers about what you're doing, because that is exactly what they're going to say to you. And if the, if the question hasn't occurred to you, my hunch is that it's because you're used to the Bible being that kind of thing. Uh, but if we're honest with ourselves, I think many, many of us, even if you've been a follower of Jesus for a really, really long time, our relationship to the Bible is kind of like, <laughs> uh, it's kind of like your relationship with your weird uncle in your family <laughs> that you were just at at Christmas, you know? And it's kind of like, yeah, we're related and we're family, so I'm supposed to like you, you know? Uh, but when I'm actually around you, you creep me out half the time. But sometimes you give me nice gifts, you know, at Christmas. And, and, but for the most part, I just don't know what to do with you. Anybody? <laughs> Will anybody please be honest and say that's your experience with the Bible? Come on. 
It's, real, it's odd. It's really odd. And so part of, for me, is just the heartbeat behind, you know, this whole thing of read scripture and getting people to read the Bible for themselves, but in a guided, community-oriented way, is to help us be able to articulate for ourselves, why do you think this ancient book is a source of divine guidance and authority for, for your life? And so that's really just the simple idea question and idea that I want to unpack today. Um, and to do that, I need, I need to share a bit of my story. Like, how on earth does someone end up giving their life to drawing Bible cartoons or something like that? How did, how did that happen? Um, and so I need to share a bit of my story um, and my history and relationship with, with the Bible. Um, I, I became a, a Christian when I uh, had almost turned 20. I was 19, about to turn 20. Uh, my parents were Christians. Um, the Bible didn't play a significant role in our family or home growing up or whatever, and I um, never really liked church. As soon as I learned the art of sneaking out of the house, um, I would do that every Saturday night to avoid having to go to church in, in my teens, and then they'd, you know, they chose to pick their battles and quit forcing me to go. So, uh, so here was my journey to, to Jesus. There uh, is an outreach ministry to skateboarders in Portland, Oregon, and it's called Skate Church. And it's a large uh, skate park, huge warehouse skate park. It's in the back lot of a church in, in Northeast Portland. And the park is open five nights a week. And you can come, you know, pay a couple dollars to help for the upkeep of the park, and you can skateboard in the park. Uh, and then what they do is they shut the park down halfway through the night at 8 o'clock. You skate from 6.30 to 8. And then one of the staff volunteers who runs it will get up and give a Jesus talk every night. And, you, and you, if you want to skate for the second half of the night, you have to sit through the Jesus talk. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's great, you know, and... It, and if you skip out on the Jesus talk, which happens regularly, you can't skate in the park until you come next week and sit through the Jesus talk, and then you can go through the thing. So, so there you go. And it's really remarkable, you know, like skateboard culture, you know, doesn't, you know, have the, the it attracts all kinds of people. I'll just say that, right? And, uh, but people respect the rules at the skate church park. It's an amazing skate park. And so people sit through the Jesus talk, and so did I. Uh, for three years, sitting at the back and thinking this was all s silly and stupid and so on. And, but some, something happened over those years, and it was just the stories about Jesus and his words and his teachings, you know? I'm sitting at the back, and it's like the, who Jesus is starts be becoming unavoidable to me. And I'm, you know, I'm getting older, I'm, I'm, you know, out of high school, living in my parents' basement, working a very low-paying job, and smoking way too much pot. And, and I, you know, I came to this point in my life where I realized I, I have to do something w with my life, and, and I have to do something about Jesus. Like, I can't put off who he is an, anymore. And I had a couple wonderful friends who were really great skateboarders, and they you know, uh, were followers of Jesus, and they worked there. And so there you go. It was uh, Wendy's Restaurant by the Skate Park in August of 1995. You know, not everybody has a story where, where they, they're following Jesus. There's a point, you know, they can remember. It's more of a slow burn process, you know, for some people. But for me, it was a, it was a decision, a conversation. I drive by that Wendy's on a regular basis. And it was, it was one of the most life-shaping events in, in, my, in my life story. So, so here's what happened after that. 
is I, I'm down for Jesus, you know? Um, and so I, I started getting involved with Skate Church, and I, you know, I'm asked to give the Jesus talk every once in a while. And so as I'm learning and reading about Jesus, you know, he's, first of all, you just notice it right away. He's just like really concerned about the Bible, <laughs> like his Bible. Um, you know, he's constantly quoting from it and alluding to it. It's like he hasn't memorized it or something, you know? And so he's constantly, like he really, really cares about the Bible. In fact, he says, if you really want to understand who he is, you need to understand the story of the Bible leading up to him because he's here to fulfill it and carry the story forward. And so I'm like, okay, I'm down for Jesus. I, I, need to, I need to reckon with this book now. So I'm, here I am. I'm a young man in my early 20s. I'm reading the Bible for the first time. And I'm just, whoa, you know, it's very bewildering. You guys, there's a talking snake on page three, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me that's not weird. Like, that's very odd. And, you know, the floods and plagues and, you know, all, all of the sex scandals. There's a lot of sex scandals in the Bible. And I, what do you do with this thing? You know, and the, but then it's like the weird uncle. Like, I'm half repulsed by it, but at the other times I'm strangely drawn to it, you know. <laughs> and then uh, but, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm, he's awesome. I want to follow him. What do I do with this? And so thus began my just long, complicated relationship with the Bible. So across the street from the skate park, is a, a Christian uh, college. It's called Multnomah University. Now it was called Multnomah Bible College back then. And I didn't have any aspirations, but I want to know how to teach the Bible to, to these junior high skateboarders. So I'll go to college, I guess. And the career arc was skateboarding to, I'll sign up for ancient Greek. And then I'll sign up for ancient Hebrew. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know what happened, you guys. Uh, four, 14 years of school went by. And... <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. And for educational institutions later, and I just, at first it was just the content of the Bible, but then it was these questions about like, where did this thing come from? Like what, the historical origins of the Bible. And I just became fascinated with it. And the whole, the whole journey, I just got obsessed with it and became, you know, a bona, bona fide Bible nerd. It's just, that's who, that's who I am. And I'm, I've come to accept that fate, right? That's okay. Um, but it's, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful journey. And it's, it has given me only a greater love and appreciation for the beauty of who Jesus is, but for the, for the beauty of, of the scriptures. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, so I, eventually, the, the last educational institution uh, was at the University, excuse me, University of Wisconsin. I did a PhD in Hebrew Bible and Jewish studies. And I, I had this cup of coffee more times than I can even remember. And it was with other university students, people in the Jewish studies department, people taking intro to biblical literature, you know, class. And, you know, they grew up as Christians or something, and, and I met them at, you know, the church we were going to. And they're taking intro to biblical literature, and they're learning the same exact history of the formation of the Bible and its complicated, fascinating, wonderful story of the, of the Bible and how it came into existence. And they're having a crisis of faith. They're learning this history and the whole, I mean, it's, you know, sociology and geography and language and so on. And, 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 and they've come to this point where I don't, there's no way that this book is God's word. Like that it's so thoroughly human, right? It has a public human history that we can, we can trace. And I remember I just didn't know what to do with these conversations because I'm, I'm learning the same exact history 
And it's bringing me to the exact opposite conclusion that I, the, the scriptures are so beautiful and Jesus is so amazing and how they are a divine and human word to God's people. Are you with me here? Same facts led to completely opposite conclusions. And so, so what's, what's going on with there, with that? And I, here's where I think the root, the root issue is. There's a glitch in the system <laughs> that's producing this, right, this, this uh, paradox. And the glitch in the system uh, has to do with some of our basic assumptions about what the Bible is, where it came from, and what it's for, what, what people are supposed to do with it. Um, and so here, um, to illustrate what I think the root issue is, um, I, I need to show you an M.C. Escher drawing. <laughs> M- Escher fans, anybody? Yeah, yeah excellent. Yeah, great. So my, um, my dad, this is a good Portland story. If you've been in Portland, uh, part of the center hub of East Portland is the Hawthorne Boulevard, Hawthorne District. And um, it's changing now, but it has been kind of the bohemian center of the city. And that's where I grew up, right in the heart of the Hawthorne District. My dad was a painter, of course, you know, and he ran his painting business out of our garage, of course. It's very Portland, right? So anyhow, so we grew up, but I grew up with art, you know, books just everywhere, all over our home. And I remember as a young boy being just fascinated with the M.C. Escher coffee table books, because most of Escher's work is exploring visual paradoxes and, and optical illusions and playing with 2D and 3D in the same drawings. And it's brilliant. Go Google Escher and you'll be better off for it. So, here, so here's what, it, what he's doing here. He, he's exploring, this is exploring a different kind of a paradox. <laughs> there are some realities that exist as one. It's one thing yet two. Right? So it's called the drawing hands, and it's a visual exploration of, of this concept, chicken or the egg, you know, which came first, um, of, of two distinct things, yet they exist as one. Like, which hand is drawing the other? Yes. Okay, so that, there you go. Like, that's what's, that's what's happening there. And uh, for me, this drawing uh, ha- has helped me put language to and flesh out what has been the historic conviction of the Christian Orthodox tradition and Jewish Orthodox tradition about what the Bible is. And that is that it is a divine book and a human book at the same time. And that neither one of those is more significant or overpowers the other. It's both. It's a human book. People wrote the Bible this should not scandalize us one bit. It actually says it quite a few times in the book itself that it, where it came from and, and that people wrote it. And yet the Bible and Jesus himself makes this claim about these human words, that these human words speak God's word to his people. Through these human words, God speaks. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And I, I'm not good at Photoshop. I, at the Bible Project, I work with a lot of people who do. Now, I just, so I just give it to them. Now, but uh, if, I, you know, if I were good at Photoshop, I would erase one of the hands, and I, you know, the human hand, and just leave the divine hand. And, and I would say, in American, whatever, call it whatever, traditional, evangelical, orthodox, whatever, church communities, people are raised with a view of the Bible that has essentially erased one of those hands. And it's just the divine hand. And it's a view like, yes, of course, the Bible was written by people, but they're mostly incidental to the process. 
And usually this comes along with a view of maybe how the Bible was written, that God's, you know, like beaming thoughts and ideas into a human's brain, and they're in a Holy Spirit trance, you know, you know this kind of thing, it's writing. Um, I'm not joking. I'm not joking, though. I mean, that's, like, that's a very common conception of how people think about, about the process. And so I, I call this the, uh, the golden tablets falling from heaven view of, of the Bible. And there's a, it, it usually comes along with a vision of what the Bible is for and what it is. It's a divine rule book or a behavior manual of some kind, and God wants us to have correct beliefs so that we'll have correct behavior so that we'll go to the good place and not the bad place after you die. Anybody? Does anybody want to say I'm wrong and say that's, a, like, that's, a, a, I'm caricaturing it? I know. I know that it's a caricature, but it's true. Like, that's the view of the Bible that, that most, if not much, of American Christianity has. And I think it's a problem because it's actually not true to what the Bible says about itself and its own origins. And it sets people up for a fall. It sets people up so that when they go to intro to biblical literature class in university, or, they, or you watch a self-proclaimed expert on YouTube, right? And they tell you the very public, accessible, complicated history of the making of the Bible. And then you go, oh, it didn't fall out of heaven. It, surely it cannot be a divine word. And you, so, do you guys see the problem? In the, this is the glitch in the system. So what, we need a new framework. It's actually not a new framework, it's the old framework that somehow we abandoned and that we need to recover. And so what is that framework for seeing this Bi the Bible as a human word through which God speaks to his people? It's a divine word and a human word. They don't cancel each other out. And, and actually, the story of the origins of the Bible is crucially important to understanding that, that reality. So here's what, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, um, just for the rest of the time that we have here, kind of walk us through an extremely abbreviated version of what the scriptures say about their own human origins through which God speaks to his people. Um, tomorrow night at the lecture, we'll get more into uh, the final stages of the collecting of the Bible and the manuscripts and Dead Sea Scrolls, and it's going to be awesome, so you should come. But, uh, but here, I, I want to hit on the issue of, of where the Bible comes from and why on earth would you see this book as a source of divine guidance and authority in your lives? And knowing where the Bible came from and how it came into existence, it's, it's crucial for understanding why why you would do that. So there you go. That's the problem, and that's what we're going to move towards right now. How are you guys doing? Great. Okay. So, uh, pop, pop quiz. I'm a professor, too. I'm too many things right now in my life, right? So, uh, but also, I teach classes at uh, Western Seminary up in Portland. Uh, so, pop quiz. You know, there's no consequences for failing. I don't, we'll deny you communion. I don't know, whatever. So, so, but no, no, it's not, I shouldn't, I shouldn't joke about that. So that's <laughs> not, that's not what I'm going to do. So, so, but pop, pop quiz. This is good. Use it. Use this Bible trivia fact at a get together this Friday night. People will love it. What, what in the Bible, where is the first mention of the writing of the Bible? So as you're reading through the Bible, when, for the first time, is the writing of the Bible mentioned? So it's a wonderful fact to, to know and to tuck away. Any guesses? I hear a lot of Exodus. A lot of, oh, Ezra. 
Ezra. I hear, I hear, I'm hearing a lot of Exodus. Exodus, Exodus. All right, winners of the pop quiz, Exodus. But where in Exodus? And I, it is, it's not, I, trust me, it's not, it's kind of a trick question because it's not where you think it's going to be. Uh, Exodus chapter 17. And uh, if you want to open up, we're going to look at a couple passages in Exodus, or it's going to uh, be up here on the screen. Open up, turn your phone on, or look on the screen, whatever you, whatever you want to do. Exodus se- chapter 17. So here's, and uh, you guys are starting, right? You're into the book of Exodus now. It's thrilling, thrilling book to read. So uh, at this point of the story, Exodus 17, it's where the Israelites have already been rescued out of their slavery in Egypt. And through the, you know, through the sea and so on, and, you know, sea to dry land, and they walk through, Pharaoh and his armies are destroyed. And then the people are wandering through the wilderness. And so, so think, you have, a, you know, a large population of escaped refugee ex-slaves, right? And all they've known is slave labor in the land of Egypt. And now, you know, they have some leaders at their helm, and they're wandering through the desert. Uh, they have a lot of resources that they took with them. And so if you're, you know, if you're an inhabitant of the region that they're passing through and you've got swords and bows and arrows and you see a people loaded with resources and no weapons, right, what are you thinking? You're thinking plunder, right? Let's, let's get these people. And so that's, the, that's where the story is right now. And here's, here's uh, the people who attack them. It's a South Canaanite people group called the Amalekites. So the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And so Moses, he said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. And tomorrow, I'm going to stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. You guys know the story? Maybe some of you are familiar with the story? It's, it's, actually, it's actually a very odd story because what, what happens is he goes up to the hill and then when Moses uh, raises his arms and, and the staff, the Israelites are empowered and, you know, can win and, and are winning. But then, you know, Moses, he's quite an old man by this point. So his arms get tired. And so his arms start to go down and then they start to lose. I told you, it's an odd story. And so they lose, start losing the battle. And so Joshua and Aaron come along, they bolster up his arms and they, they win the battle. Rescued, right? Um, so after the, the battle's over and, and they're rescued, God says this to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. There it is. This is the first mention of the writing of the Bible in the Bible. Are you with me? Now, so let's stop. Let's reflect on this here. Um, what, what is Moses writing down? Write this. Write what? The story, right? right? Write the story for what purpose? Remembering. This is basic, basic questions. Basic Bible study happening right here. So write this. This, this refers to that. And then remembering. So what's, you're writing a story about how God just saved and delivered his people. And that story needs to get written down and and enshrined as the cent- at the center of this memory, of this pe- the public cultural memory of this people as to who our God is and that he's in the business of saving and, and delivering us. Now, this is interesting. Is this, the, uh, is this the first time that God has saved and delivered his people? No, right? Why are they in the wilderness? Well, they just escaped out of Egypt. And that was a whopper, you know? Uh, the... 
you know, the slavery, and then uh, Moses confronts Pharaoh, let my people go. You've seen the movie, probably. And so, and then the ten, you know, the plagues and all this horrible stuff happens, and they're protected, and then they leave e- Egypt. So that, that whole story, God has already rescued them, hasn't, hasn't he? Yes. How, but the, how do the Israelites remember that story of rescue and deliverance? Were they called to remember that story? Yeah, yeah. With a book? No, not at first. With a meal. A meal. An annual meal where everything at the table is a symbol retelling the story of how God rescued and, and delivered his people. So now, so we have two ways that God's people, first of all, there's an annual meal, ritual meal, a symbol of the story. And now this first mention of the writing of the Bible in the Bible is about writing the story so that it can be remembered through the meal and through these writings. Are you with me? So whatever you think the Bible is for, it has to include room for this because this is the first mention of the writing of the Bible in the Bible. Um, Any golden tablets falling from heaven here? Um, Any Holy Spirit trance happening here? What does God, he just says, Moses, write this down. Okay, you know, so what happened again? Oh, Oh yeah, the arms and the staff. And that was like, Moses is writing the story. And the message of God's character and his commitment to his world and his people is communicated through this story. God speaks to his people through these words that Moses, that Moses wrote. So, so there you go. That's the first mention of the writing of the Bible in the Bible. Uh, second pop quiz. And this is, you're like, really? Another, so the joke's tired by now. And maybe it is. But the second pop quiz, nonetheless. Um, what is the second mention of the writing of the Bible in the Bible? And so it happens not long after this. The Israelites, they're in the wilderness. And they make it through, and they come to the foot of a mountain. What's the name of this mountain? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Or um, it's called Horeb. There's some regional dialect differences and so on. Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb is how it gets referred to in different places. And so at the, at the foot of this mountain, the people are invited to gather. And God appears in a very powerful way, cloud and, and thunder and fire and so on. And, and God invites these people into a covenant relationship. And there's a key moment in the story. It happens just in two chapters, chapter 19. God says, listen, if, if you all enter into this covenant relationship that I'm going to invite you into, if you obey the laws and the terms of the covenant that I'm going to give you, then here's what you will become. You will become my unique, special people who are a kingdom of priests. Some of you guys know, maybe know that line. And so that, this is where that happens in the story. In other words, God has rescued a people, and now he wants to form the, bring them into proximity to his power and, and glory and goodness, and he wants to enter a relationship with them. And that means that they'll come under the terms of this relationship for what purpose? To become priests. What do priests do? So priests are, are go-betweens, right? Not just in Israel, in, in many, many cultures. Priests are these representatives of God to people, but also of people to God, and so, so what, what he's asking this rescued people to do is to enter into this relationship so that they become these, these reflective mirrors of who God is to all of the nations. 
And so these terms of the covenant, they're going to involve things about, about justice and about how they form their communities and how they do business and how they do family and how they think and practice sexuality and money and how you treat your neighbors, right? It's going to be this body of laws. And actually, right at the foot of the mountain, they receive the first set of terms of the covenant. What do we call these in our culture? We call them the Ten Commandments. <laughs> the ten, and then there are 32 more. And then there's a total of 613, actually, in the whole first five books of the Bible. Get ready. Get ready for those. 613. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. So, but it begins with 10. Just ease them into it, right? So, so the, the people, they hear the terms of the covenant. They, and, and here's where the story goes. Second mention of the writing of the Bible in the Bible. When Moses went and told all the people the Lord's words and laws, Ten Commandments, some other body of commandments, they all responded with one voice. Yeah, everything the Lord has said we will do. <laughs> everything God said, we're going to do that. Now, if you know how the story goes, <laughs> right, you know the, the irony, right? Because they're going to go on to do precisely none of that. They're going to break all the terms of the covenant. But they're eager, you know? They're eager at the beginning. <laughs> um, so, and then here you go. Moses wrote down everything the Lord, the Lord had said. Second mention of the writing of the Bible in the Bible. Now, what is Moses writing down now? What's he writing down? Everything the Lord said, what's that? The terms of the covenant, right? So, you know, we call them rules or commands, and they're called commands and laws right there, but they're the words and the laws, and their instruction, their guidance. Israel was to be formed as a contrast community to all of the other nations, and they, every realm of life and, and existence and family and society was to be shaped by their proximity to God's generosity and God's justice and God's holiness. And so, the second mention of the writing of the Bible in the Bible is writing up the terms of the covenant relationship. Okay, so here you go. In, in these first two mentions of the writing of the Bible in the Bible, first of all, this is the origins of the Bible. It's the first time it's mentioned being written. But it also gets us to the heart of the meaning of the Bible. Do you see this? What can we conclude about what the Bible is and what it's for based on these first two mentions of the writing of it? Well, we know that, first of all, its main purpose is to tell a story, to tell the story of the, the gracious God who has rescued and redeemed his people. For what purpose? Well, it's the second part of the Bible, is that this God wants to invite those redeemed people into a covenant relationship. And he asks those people to come under his guidance and under his care and to be faithful to the terms of the covenant, not just because this God's uptight, about controlling how people behave. No, because he wants them to become new and different kinds of humans who more closely mirror God's own justice and character, humans that are being healed and transformed by their proximity to the gracious and holy God so that they can become priests to all of the nations. You guys, this is the story that the Bible is telling about its own origins, its own purpose. And I haven't used the word yet, but do you see, what we're talking about the Bible's authority right here, aren't we? But it's very different than golden tablets falling from heaven. Do you see how it's a totally different, right? Beware of people claiming that they have books that have fallen from heaven. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Because what they're, that's, a power, that's called power play, right? They're trying to trump reason. They're trying to trump any excuse that you might have. This is a divine word with authority. And what is authority in the Golden Tablet's view? God's more powerful than you. He, ha, he can tell you what to do. Shape up or you're going to the bad place after you die. And that is not the way the Bible presents itself. Are you with me? The Bible's presenting itself as something very different. It's first of, first of all, it's telling the story of a God who exudes love and justice, a God who is so disturbed by what we have done with his world and what we do to each other that he will confront evil and name it like he did with Pharaoh. And he'll also give 10 chances to Pharaoh to stop doing what he's doing to destroy other, other human beings. And Pharaoh, I mean, most, as we can tell, like Pharaoh's friends and advisors, they're all like, you're crazy. Like, we want to go with the Israelites, you know. So Pharaoh, he's like this image of the hardened human heart that's gone so insane with its own selfishness. It's ruining itself, it's ruining others, and it's ruining God's world. And so the portrait of God in this story is a God whose passion compels him to act in moments of history to bring his justice and to save and redeem people. That's the story of this God. And then what this God wants to do is take those redeemed, rescued people and, and form them into a covenant people and invite them into a relationship. That's when God starts giving laws and commands to his saved, redeemed people. Are you with me here? It's a very different, very different story. And why is he giving these covenant terms to these saved and redeemed people so that they become these reflective mirrors to, to the nation. How are you guys doing? Do you see, this is just a very different way of thinking about what the Bible is and where the Bible came from. And I, I, I think it's what the Bible is actually trying to tell us about itself. <laughs> so what, what does it mean to be one of those covenant people coming under the authority of the, the scriptures. And we actually, we have, a, we have a perfectly good parallel to it with that word covenant here. In our, culture, in our culture, the word covenant doesn't really refer to too many things anymore um, except a marriage covenant. You guys with me? So if you enter a, a contract, you know, with a business partner, we call it a contract. It's the word we have for it, right? It's a contract. But a covenant's different. Covenant is about a whole person relational commitment to another. And so, you know, when I, I got married to, uh, to my wonderful wife, Jessica, she, uh, she didn't get to come down with me this time. And that's sad, but it's okay. She'll come again sometime. But uh, so, you know, 15 years ago, we, we stood in front of all our friends and family and we uttered these covenant vows to each other, the terms of the covenant, right? So I, I vowed to give my allegiance and my devotion to her, I've, you know, sickness and health, richer or poorer, all that kind of thing. You know, no more, no more video games, no more Cheetos, staying up till midnight. You know, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm reshaping my behavior because I'm now giving my allegiance to, to this one that I love and that who loves me. And I submit myself under the authority of these covenant terms and vows. Are you with me here? That's the kind of authority the Bible presents itself as. It's telling you a story about who God is and how he wants to rescue and redeem a people. 
And then the Bible is inviting you to become a part of that people and to come under its authority. But it's the authority of a covenant relationship. It's just a very different way of, of thinking about the Bible. It's how the Bible presents itself to us. Okay. We get clear on the point. Two purposes of the Bible. Story, covenant, authority. All right. So here's how the story goes. Again, very crash course abbreviated here. So uh, the people of Israel, they say yes, you know, eager beavers, and they go in to the promised land, and, um, but it doesn't work out. They don't, uh, they, they're not faithful to the terms of the covenant, and they give their allegiance to other gods and other nations, uh, and it results in the, the rotting and the corruption of their society, they be, idolatry and injustice. And so God sends more Moses-like figures called the prophets. And these prophets, they, they speak on God's behalf. I, I call them uh, covenant watchdogs. That's what, they're, that's what they're for. They protect God's people from themselves <laughs> when they're breaking the covenant. Because the purpose of the covenant is to make them more human again and to rescue them from themselves. And, but they don't want that. And so the prophets, is very interesting because the prophets will often speak God's own words, like first person God's speech, but then also they'll speak their own words to challenge the people and so on. And then both those first person God speech and then the prophet's own words get collected and shaped into the books of the prophets. And those books become a divine and human word to God's own people. And as you know, we'll see if you come tomorrow night, the books of the prophets give us lots of clues about the human processes by which the books came into existence. The Bible's not trying to hide its historical origins. It actually highlights it as really, really important. So, so the people don't listen to the prophets and destruction and ruin come. Jesus of Nazareth comes onto the scene and he sees himself as bringing this whole story to its key moment, a, clim a climactic moment, and fulfilling the story so far and taking it into new territory. And Jesus comes announcing uh, what he calls the reign or the rule of God, or the, kingdom, the kingdom of God. And he, he believes that God is present in himself, that he is the embodiment of the same God of the Exodus story, the same God as the creator God, here to rescue and redeem a people once again. And that he's here to take back his world from what we have done to the place and set things right. And so he goes about forming a new people, right? He forms a, a crew of disciples. T Twelve is the initial circle, right? It's this image of he's remaking Israel and restarting the covenant people. He calls lots of people to himself. And everywhere he, he goes, heaven meets earth. And people are healed. And people are forgiven. And people find themselves transformed and become more human again after this encounter with Jesus. And he gets so much momentum that the leaders of Israel, the covenant people, they're threatened by him. They come to hate him. They think that he's the enemy and that he's leading the people astray. And so they set in motion a plan to kill him, to murder him. And on the, uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed in, in the garden, he has a final meal with his followers. And what meal is it? It's a Passover meal. And here's what he says at this Passover meal. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. 
Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for, for the forgiveness of sins. This is, this is crucially important. Jesus, Jesus is having a Passover meal, and when, when Jesus wanted to explain his death and what, what his life and what his death and resurrection would mean to his disciples, did Jesus write a book? Did Jesus write anything that we know of? No. What did he give to his followers to explain the meaning of his life and death and resurrection? He gave us a meal, a ritual, symbolic meal. And it's a Passover meal. This is just loaded. Everything's intentional. The most brilliant man who's ever walked the planet. Every moment of his life was intentional and full of meaning. So, so what's he saying? What he's saying is what's happening here, it's another exodus. <laughs> it's another act of rescue. Except the act of rescue that is happening this time isn't just from just another tyrant like Pharaoh. And it's not just from these other tyrants ruling the world, you know, Her the Herods and, and the Caesars of, of their day. Jesus has his eye on a different foe, a different enemy. And, and, he, and he talked about it. It's this, this reality of evil that is so, has such a stranglehold on our hearts and our minds. And it's both us choosing it, but yet at the same time, if you're honest with yourself, how many of you have ever been in a moment where like you really, it's a conflict situation? Have you ever had a personal conflict before? Anybody in the room? Just maybe, I'm reaching here, I know. So, and like, the, you know, it's kind of intense and there's this thing that you want to say and you know, you, it's like you want to say, you want to, oh, man, that will not help this situation at all, you know? And it's like, it's kind of building, building, you're getting angry and getting frustrated and you're like, no, I shouldn't say it. No, I said, ah, and you say it, right? <laughs> Anybody? So, what's happening right there? What, what, this story with the garden and the snake and so on, I know it's odd. What's that story asking us to consider? That humans are such glorious, amazing creatures. We're capable of so much beauty and good. But yet at the same time, we're aware that these, these forces, these urges come over us to do things that we know are destructive and that we know are going to break down this relationship, they're gonna ruin this person, ruin God's good world, they're gonna ruin me. And, and yet we choose it. We choose it, but yet at the same time, how many of you after you blurt out that thing that you say and you're like, oh, dang it, like, why, why did I do that? Did I do that? Why did I do that? Was that me? It was me, but it wasn't me. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's like you were insane. <laughs> it's like evil is a, is a form of insanity. You don't want to be that person, but yet you were and you chose it. And the Bible is asking us to consider that evil is a, it's, there's a personal mysterious reality to it. And it, it gives it, right? It gives this personal reality lots of images and names, right? The devil and so on. And, and so don't, no, there's no pitchforks or red horns and tails in the Bible. It's way, actually way more sinister, right? It's this, it's this foreign personality that influences individuals, societies, and you, you know you experience it in those moments of insanity where you give in to the urge and you're less human, you're dehumanized for it, you've dehumanized others. Are you, are you with me here? And Jesus says that's, that's the enemy. 
The enemy, the enemy is a reality that crosses ethnic boundaries. It crosses political boundaries. There's no us and them. It's just broken, selfish human beings who are made in God's image. And we're corrupted humans. And so Jesus comes to zero in on that enemy. Right? This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus believes that he is becoming that, that Passover lamb, that he's going to take into himself all of the wreckage, the train wreck of human history, you guys, all of the death and all of the evil that we have all participated in and contributed to the world in large ways and small. And Jesus sees himself as taking it into himself on the cross. And the way that he wants us to remember and participate in that is to eat this meal. Are you with me? It's very powerful. And so what the resurrection means, it's a new exodus moment. The resurrection means that our sin and, the, and our selfishness and the, and the havoc and the death and the destruction that we all participate in, that it doesn't get the last word. That God's covenant commitment to us and to his world, that his love and passion for human beings in our world is so strong that even death cannot overcome it. And the resurrection of Jesus is this glorious, beautiful image of hope for our world. Amen? That's what, it's a new liberation. It's a liberation moment. And so look where the story goes. This is so, so important, you guys, to see how, how the story of Jesus fits exactly within the covenant story. The final words of Jesus in the gospel according to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 28. So here's what he says. He's the risen Jesus, and he's talking to his crew of uh, d disciples, right? It used to be 12, now it's 11. Judas dropped out. And so then Jesus, <laughs> then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So who, who has authority over heaven and earth? The glorious risen Jesus, king of, king of creation. And then he says, go out, tell everybody the good news, right? That there's like a, a new version of your future is possible because of what he did in his life and in his death and his resurrection. So go and go initiate people into the family through another uh, ritual symbol that we don't have time to talk about, baptism. And then he says, go, go teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus, he sees this act of liberation as now being opened up to now bring people into this new covenant family that he started. That's what he's telling people. Like grow the covenant family. Invite as many people, as many humans from the whole face of the earth as you can into this story and into this covenant family. And then what does he ask those those 11 disciples, who he's later going to be named apostles, what does he tell them to do? To go around doing what? To teach. To teach these new members of the covenant family to do what? To obey. <laughs> to obey. Jesus, Jesus brought this covenant story to a new moment. He opens up the new covenant family, and then he invites these rescued people who join the covenant family to come under whose authority? His. Okay, so let's just stop real quick here. This is a crucially important passage for understanding what the New Testament is and what the Bible is. 
Who has authority over heaven and earth? So, so if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe Jesus does. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, li- listen closely. This might seem like splitting hairs, but I think it's really important. If you're a, a follower of Jesus, is your allegiance and your devotion to a book? I'm making some of you nervous, right? But I, and that's, that's on purpose. Is your allegiance and your devotion to a book? It's to a person. Are you invited into a covenant relationship with a book? You're invited into a covenant relationship with a person. What do we mean when we say, I accept the Bible as a divine authority over my life? What I mean when I say that is I accept Jesus as the authority over my life. And that's a different kind of authority. It's, it's the kind of authority of the one who loved me and gave himself for me and who wants to make me into a new and different kind of human. And he invites me under his loving, gracious, Jesus-style authority to do so. And that authority is expressed to me through the writings of the prophets and the apostles. And what is the purpose of the writings of the prophets and the apostles? To tell the story of the covenant family and how I have been invited into it. And then it contains the terms of the covenant relationship that I bring myself under because I trust that Jesus knows what it means to be a human being more than I do. Are you with me? And so he, what's he doing right here? He sends out these disciples. They're going to be called apostles. And he's, dep- think of Dukes of Hazard or something. He's deputizing them, right? He's there. He's making them his official representatives to represent his voice and his teaching to the nations. So what did the apostles and their closest circle go on to do? We have a covenant meal as the followers of Jesus. What do we need to clarify what it means to be? What do we need to tell the story of the new covenant family? What do we need to clarify the terms of the covenant? What it means to be a follower of this Jesus? We need some texts, right? Just like God asked Moses. So, so here we go. What are the four gospels in the New Testament? They're the, 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 test, the eyewitness testimony of the apostles of the story of how God rescued and formed a new people. What are the writings of the apostles? They're Jesus' deputies, his authorized spokespeople who carry on the teachings of Jesus and who guide the covenant family in what it means to be faithful to Jesus and to submit our lives and our futures and all of our decisions to him. Right here is the origins of the New Testament writings. Do you see this here? So it's not like people make this split where it's like, man, I'm really like Jesus, but Paul's kind of uptight, you know? <laughs> and uh, Peter, you know, and I like some of what he says. Like, no, he can't. You can't with intellectual integrity do that. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're also going to follow how Peter represents my teaching, how Paul will guide his church communities and what it means to be faithful, faithful to me. It's a, these are humans, but it's a divine word. It's not, a, it's not an either or. It's a both. It's a both and. Ooh, how you guys doing? All right. So, so, so. Yeah. So, so he, I, this is such a different way of thinking about the Bible. I'm pretty sure it's how the Bible is trying to tell us what it is, like it's itself. And so, 
and so it puts to us a, a decision. And really, you know, you guys are, are doing this whole Read Scripture experience, and my, my hope and my hope with the videos, they're so ridiculously fun to make. <laughs> it's really, like, it's the most fun I've, I've ever had. And so, like, it's, we're going we're gonna to learn a lot together. I'm, you know, learning a ton all over again as I go through the Bible and make the videos and so on. But if, if this remains simply a learning experience, do you, do you see how, like, we've so missed the whole point of this? The point is that we rediscover our humanity. The point is that we discover Jesus' loving, gracious authority and how he wants to heal and transform us, which means that he has to confront the, the pharaohs, right? The pharaoh-like elements that are deep inside of us, the stranglehold of selfishness that, that we're under and, and that we suffer from and that we often choose. And he wants to confront it and he wants to kill it. He wants to kill it. But he doesn't want to kill you, right? <laughs> Gods who drop divine rule books out of heaven and say, obey me or I'll squish you, those gods want to kill you. That is, Jesus, that's not the God of the Bible. The, and people who claim to have those books in their possession and ask for your credit card number, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't trust those people. Don't trust books that fall out of heaven. The Bible didn't fall out of heaven. It has a public accessible history that we can trace. It's, should I say it again? It's telling the story. <laughs> God rescued a foreign people. And so here, this is my hope and my prayer is that the read scripture experience, go, what it does in your life is that you meet in a new way the God of this story and that you see how he, what he's inviting you to and the kind of human that he wants you to become and the kind of human that Jesus was for you and me that I have not up to this point been able to be for myself, but he was that for me. And he ate the consequences of all the stupid stuff that we do, and he, he didn't even let that be the final word. His love and his covenant commitment are the final word. And so my hope and prayer is not even by the end of this year, but that you, you find yourself compelled to give your life to Jesus, that to give more and more of your life to Jesus's loving, gracious, healing authority. And it's that kind of authority that is, that is good news. So there you go. That's what, that's what I have to say. And I, I don't claim to know what that's supposed to mean for you right now. Um, and, I, and that's not my job, right? So that's way above my pay grade, right? So um, that, that's Jesus's job. And we believe as his followers that when we gather together and when he's at the center and when we're taking the, the meal together, that he's here. And so here's what I would encourage you uh, to, to do right now as we go into this time of prayer and reflection and worship and song and, and taking the bread and the cup is just to ask yourself, like, like this week, what just happened in the last seven days? What, in what ways, the, the moments nobody knows about, the moments where that Pharaoh came out of you and maybe you were alone because it's, you know, you would never act that way in public, right? But, uh, and so, but some of us do act that way in public too. And so like, what, what is that thing? Where did you go insane this last week with selfishness and evil and allow Jesus to name it and confront it this morning? And where, where do you see Jesus challenging you in this coming week 
What are the decisions to be made? What are the relationships that are, that are in tension or that are broken because of stupid things someone did to you or that you did to them? Like what conversations and phone calls do you need to make this week? And ask Jesus to guide you. Ask him to heal you with his loving authority. And coming under his authority means we'll have to do things that are uncomfortable and act in new ways that don't seem natural to us. And that's good news. It's just really hard. And so we need Jesus and we need each other as we read scripture and come under Jesus' authority uh, as, a, as a community. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let me close in a word of prayer. <clears throat>